0: It's part two of our interview series. What do you look for in a product manager? Stick around. Welcome to the Product Fits podcast, where we keep it real practical about product management and how we can start out and grow together as product managers. Hey, podcast. I'm excited to get to part two of our interview series where we are asking product leaders, what do you look for in a product manager? We're also discussing some of the tools they use and some of the leading metrics they look for. Today, we have my friend Zach Johnson from Charles Schwab on. He is a senior team manager. And last time we had him on the show, he was a product manager and about a week later, he was promoted to lead a team of product managers. Let's jump right in. What do you look for in a product manager? I have to give uh,
1: credit to a a mentor of mine and a a good friend, his name is Raul Rodriguez, who gave me a kind of a framework for interviewing, um, in particular for interviewing product managers. So one of the first things I look for is in their communication. I look for four, four things. Like for clarity, conciseness, confidence, and convincing, um, you don't have to have every one of them but but I look for how strong you are in each of those four c's of communication because a product manager needs to be able to c- communicate really effectively <clears throat> you just it's kind of table stakes you got to have it so that's one of the first things that and one of the primary things that I look for is ability to communicate um, a few other things are. Uh, intellectual curiosity Are they kind of you know thinking about and and exploring the world around them are they just kind of going with the flow and satisfied with the status quo or are they willing to kind of challenge and and look for opportunities um so that's uh that's an important one is being intellectually curious need to have some ability to think critically you know attack problems or analysis in in a in a kind of critical logical way Right. A lot of times we tend to get married to our solutions, and I'm you know, looking for people who are really interested in the problem and validating if their solutions actually work and thinking critically about their own assumptions. Um, so that's a big thing. Uh, we also talk about kind of <clears throat> where a person sits on the strategic, tactical spectrum, um, and are they able to flex between the two and, and change their elevation? Can they think at a very high level? and communicate and, and think and and project um, at the thirty thousand foot view and also are they able to get right down into the weeds and and make actual, you know, meaningful impact on the on the ground. You need to be able to flex between the two. So kind of having an understanding of how well they can go between the two. Um I've got a whole bunch of others. I don't know how many you want from me, but <laughs> there's there's lots, you know, decision making, empathy, you know, their temperament, their willingness to challenge assumptions, um, how they prioritize, uh, all of that really plays into a lot of the things that, you know, I think a good product manager uh, is, is capable of.
0: Yeah, I like those. Uh, maybe just, is there anything more specific around hard skills that you look for? Sure. Uh,
1: for our particular product set, um, you need to be familiar with software development. Uh, you don't have to, you know, written a lot of code, or even any code, but you have to understand the principles of, of building software um, at a, at a certain level. <clears throat> Again, they don't need to have like syntax, and I don't have them write any pseudo code, but they need to understand, you know, those fundamentals of, um, of how the process works, right? From from development and testing to you know, hardening and, and production releases as well as bug fixes and the whole life cycle of the software development process. So that's that's really important because we build software products here. So they need that oftentimes um, experience with some agile framework is also really helpful so that they're coming into the way that we operate and the way that we, um, the processes that we use to, to um, navigate the software development life cycle um, are Primarily agile-driven, you know, we like to think that we're really agile, but we've still got some remnants of some waterfall thinking, and <clears throat> but uh, but some familiarity with uh, an agile framework as well as tools for capturing and, and defining, you know, value, uh, such as like user stories or things like that. Um, so those kinds of hard skills are pretty important. Um, in our particular space, our, our, our product set not just in software, but we're also really very much in the, the identity realm. So if you have any kind of background or experience about how you identify people in a digital world, um, you know, very traditional mechanisms are things like usernames and passwords and text messages to your phone, that kind of stuff. But also just kind of what some of the, the drivers are behind the identity, um, feature or product, uh, is also really important for us. <clears throat> but again, that's very specific to our, our particular product, but those are definitely hard skills that are, um, are, are very valuable to have, uh, in our space.
0: I wanted to go a little bit deeper and you mentioned talking, having a conversation about the strategic or the tactical, um, mm-hmm. side of, do you, what do you do with that information? And how does that, you know, fit into what you're trying to build with the team or the assignments you give them? Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, not everybody can go from, from the grass, you know, down to the weeds and and all the way up to, you know, the 30,000 foot um, ivory tower view. But uh, what I do with that is kind of assess where they're at and then work on helping them gain greater flexibility. Right. If they don't, if they can't really, Go to the C-suite and and speak about our capabilities at that level at a really high kind of strategic level about why it's important and and where we're headed from a like a, a future and a vision standpoint. If they can't do that, then we work really hard on how do you sum up in more um, in more I guess layman's terms. Not that our our, our C-suite are layman necessarily, but in our space is pretty it's pretty specific um, and we have to kind of boil it down to a real kind of um, to the brass tacks. Why does it matter to our firm? Why does it matter to our customers that we do a good job of this or that we move in this direction? So um, I'll just kind of take where they're at and and work with them to build up kind of either uh, an ability to distill their ideas and their communications to really impactful, shorter statements uh, and, and be able to communicate that in an effective and powerful way tailored to their audience. Or if they have, if they're fine in that realm, but they can't get down into the details, then we'll take small kind of incremental tasks to say, let's look at this particular, you know, item right here. Let's go look at this one requirement and let's get into the details of that particular item and, and and why does it matter and, and how do you get, how do you get deep um, on that? So uh, being able to kind of, I guess, flex between the two. Um, you don't have to do it all the time, but a good product manager can be called on to to flex whenever we need to flex in in one area or the other. And that's really what we're trying to develop our product managers who can who can rapidly adapt to whatever the circumstances dictate in need, and they can do that kind of on a dime. Really, um, if you spend all your time in the weeds, then you know it's. Um, You know, your value is limited, right? To just those very tactical, very short-term things. Those super valuable, our goal is to to let our product managers own their features and they, they completely run it, right? Get to what we call a development level of four where they're autonomous individual, right? Product managers who are running with their product and they're just kind of checking in and letting us know how it's going versus being very directive and giving them like very specific assignments and tasks to achieve what? what we want, right? We want them to be defining what's right and why it's right and have a real ownership and being able to go between those two is critical to having that ownership from, from strategic to tactical.
0: We see some areas that have product managers and then they have product owners. Do you separate that, that way as well? Or in in my organization, we're trying to have that be the same person.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good question. In fact, um, about a year, not even quite a year ago, we were, we were operating in the model of, you know, we had product managers who were kind of taking care of scope definition and high-level requirements and stakeholder coordination um, and, and kind of rollout and all that kind of stuff. And then they would hand requirements, the their requirements down to product owners who were interfacing directly with the scrum teams writing the stories. And um, we felt like that was disempowering for both of them. Right. The product managers weren't as connected to the details and in the, in the day-to-day of the of the product, right? So they only had kind of a a distant ownership. You know, it was kind of just at the you know at the higher level. And the product owners weren't really um, uh, empowered to define and, and build the products the way that made the most sense down at the down at the execution level. So we we made a transition. It was actually and you know, it's still kind of ongoing, but we we did two things. We we first said product managers need to have a scrum team uh, but we also said the scrum teams need to be cross functionally capable of building the product from end to end right because previously our our, our technical teams or scrum teams were um kind of divided by uh by technical component levels right that we had like a UI and a services and a middleware and right those those three you know major components of an MVC software model and and so we we challenged our technical partners to say hey we we want teams that can run and own this end to end and not like one team is building ui one p pe- one team is building services and the other team is building business logic we want one team that can do it all and that's not that's not an easy transition right going from one model to the other is really challenging but but they took the challenge on and we're moving that direction pretty rapidly and um, and one of the real great outcomes of that is that it's not just the product owner, or, sorry, the product manager who is also functioning as a product owner, the role of a product owner. It's not just them who has ownership. It's actually the whole scrum team, but the whole you, you unlock the creative potential of the incredibly talented developer pool instead of them just kind of getting orders and saying, all right, this is the next piece of code I need to crank out done. When's the next one, right? There's a lot of disconnected um, Attachment to that, or dis- detachment uh, to that model. So now, the the whole team is really responsible for what's right for the product, and why are we doing it, and how do we deliver the value that we're looking to deliver. And it's much more collaborative.
0: Still, definitely a work in progress, but that's the that's the model that we're that we're moving to. Shifting topics a little bit. What are some tools that your product managers use to be consistent and to communicate and uh, yeah. handle the product side of things?
1: Sure, yeah, everything is done in Outlook, like you have to email everything. No, I'm I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) We do email probably a bit more than we ought to. But um, yeah, so some some big major tools, Um, there's kind of three big categories. There's there's several smaller ones, but the three big ones that come to mind are their their visualization and documentation tool set. So how are you visualizing and telling the the story and, and helping People understand what it is you're trying to do and why you're doing it. So there's visualization tools like you know Visio or Lucid or or, You know, just actual you you actually draw what you're talking about. <clears throat> yeah, and and sometimes there's a user interface involved, which is where we get into like Envision and some other prototyping tools like that. Um, but just kind of trying to picture and tell the story visually, we we use tools like Visio or Lucid or Mural, and then we put everything in Confluence, so it's easily shared and centrally located Um, so if somebody you know didn't get the email well they just need the link to the confluence page or they can self-discover using tags and other things where we tag our pages and you can find the relevant information for whatever it is you're you're working on or looking to work on so that's the first piece uh, or the first tool set Um, the second is around it's more like metrics or or data analytics and discovery um, where we go to kind of see how our products are doing, as well as discover opportunities to make them better. So, um, we use several different tool sets there from, you know, we get all the way down into Splunk, which is used in a really interesting way here. Um, much different than, than the, at USAA, actually, but, uh, but we do use Splunk, um, um, we use Tableau, Excel, Adobe Analytics, to, to try to understand what's happening, and what's working well. As well as identify where we might might have some opportunities and make decisions about where we focus our energy next based on that data <clears throat> that's the second tier and then the third one I mentioned, which is just kind of our our, our um, UI prototyping uh, tool set which is primarily in, uh, in vision uh, and while we don't uh, we have like UX partners who work with us to to really make the pictures beautiful and <clears throat> design the interactions so that they're really intuitive and meaningful and uh, we work with them very closely you know on <clears throat> with envision to kind of point out things or or go back and forth with comments and kind of iterate on a prototype over and over again then we use that in front of you know um, test test groups to confirm whether or not the prototype is doing what we think it should do
0: when you're actively working on the products and trying to make improvements how do you come up with what measures you're going to use to Determine success.
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting because leading indicators for us are the for our particular product, which is again, it's kind of a unique one, um, but The big one for us is our clients adopting the features we're making available <clears throat> Right and and we talk a little bit about or we look a little bit at like what, what are the demographics of those who are adopting it? and then what are the usage patterns and and then those tend to to feed into our lagging indicators like how much many like fraud incidents are being you know reported <clears throat> um, or how many dollars have left the building unauthorized or things like that so for us you know our, our biggest leading indicator is adoption it's our people it's kind of you could you could relate it to like buying is somebody are the clients actually buying it right uh, in our case you know they're not paying anything for it but they're other than the time it takes for them to go through the process of saying, yeah, I want to use this, you know, click the button or, you know, enroll in this new, new capability, this new authentication tool. Um, And that's really where uh, our team really focuses is, is adoption. But we we also have kind of two measures or two types of adoption. So we have our, our customers, our, our retail who are coming to Charles Schwab wanting to, do business with us, right? Um, That kind of adoption. But we also, we have lots and lots of different lines of business, lots of different channels and digital properties at Schwab that serve different client bases. And because of the way Schwab's kind of evolved over the years, both through acquisition and just natural organic growth, we didn't have a single centralized um authentication capability like we have built today we've we've built one but that doesn't mean everybody uses it so the second form of adoption is how are the other schwab properties other uh, our digital presence sites are they adopting our platform as the mechanism for identifying their clients <clears throat> so that's the second really big one which is really an internal leading indicator of how well we've built this this product to be usable by other applications right schwab.com our mobile apps Uh, we have some desktop apps we have a whole bunch of different websites that that target very specific clients um, or customers Um, and how many of them are we uh, are we seeing adopt our platform so that's our second
0: thanks again zach for your time to share with me and to share with all of us so that we can learn and grow together see you next week